0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Freedom Centre Church in Preston. It is good to see you all this morning. Good to be in church, good to worship. My name's Tom, for those of you that don't know me. As I said, our pastors Jack and Sue, they're away. I can't remember whether Sam mentioned that or not, but they're away. They'll be back next week, so I think they've been having a great time. In the States, they're at a conference. So I, we, we talk, as a vision team, we talk about this a lot. We want pastors that are full and uh, able to give. There's pastors that if they're running on empty and tired, and then we all lose from that equation. So we believe that we want pastors that are full and energized. So um, it's good that they go away to these conferences and do what they do. But they're going to be back next week. Um, so this morning, we're going to look at... Jesus, which is a good thing to do in church. I hope you agree with that. We're going to look at a couple of stories to start us off um, from the Gospels. So if you have your Bible or a phone, a Bible on your phone, I encourage you to use them. We have them on the screen, which is nice. But something about holding words on a page, I think, can just give us a bit more I don't know, rather than just a, an abstract screen, you kind of see a bit more context and you, can, you know where it is, you can read it when you go home maybe. So Mark chapter 8 verses 22 to 26. So it says that they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Let's just pause there for a moment. So people come to Jesus and they beg Jesus to touch him. They didn't politely ask Jesus, sir, if it's not too much trouble, may you please lay a hand on our poor friend. They begged, they begged Jesus to touch him. So first of all, these people are desperate, they're in need, and they beg Jesus to touch him. And in verse 23, it says that he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, yep, yeah, I read that correctly. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I, I see people. They, they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. So quite a simple story in many ways. One of those stories we can kind of quickly flip through. Jesus heals man. Yeah, there's plenty of those stories in the Bible. Let's move on to the next one. But in this story, we see Jesus heal a blind man after his friends came to him begging, begging that Jesus would touch him. And then Jesus leads him outside the village. He doesn't just do it there and then. He leads him outside the village. And then that really weird bit of the passage where it says that Jesus spat on his eyes. (laughs) This is Jesus, you know, Jesus, and he spat on the man's eyes. Very strange when we read it. So in this passage, we see Jesus doing the things that we love about Jesus. We see Jesus showing his love His compassion, his power, and that he heals this man who is blind. The things that we absolutely love about Jesus. The stuff we sing about. Jesus, loving, compassionate, holy, mighty God. And this is what we see in this passage. But what's interesting is that he does it in such a bizarre way. This story could quite easily have happened another way, where they come to Jesus, they beg Jesus, and he says, Oh, you don't don't need to beg. Just, you know, you can just uh, just ask, ask me. And then Jesus could have just popped a hand on his shoulder maybe. He could have just clicked his fingers and said healed. And the guy could have just seen everything perfectly straight away. But instead, he led him outside the village. He did this thing where he spat on his eyes. And then it, he had to do it kind of like in two different sections. There was the first bit and then there was the second bit. After the first time, he saw things that looked like trees. People, It was a bit bizarre. And then Jesus kind of finished off. After, afterwards. So he could have just done it like that, so simply. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't do it the way that we may be like as we read in the text. He didn't do it in the way that probably they would have preferred. I think they would have preferred if it was just simple and he didn't have someone that spat in his eyes. You know, if, can you imagine if we did a, at the end I said, if you need healing, you want to come down to the front and I spat on your face? We, you wouldn't be very happy with me. And rightly so. The important thing is that Jesus did this and not anyone else. So there's, there's actually a lot of context to probably what was going on here. If you want to open up your commentary, there's probably a lot more that is going on in all these stories. But we've not got time to look at all of that today. But Jesus does it in a way that seems so bizarre and strange. second story that I want us to look at is Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 verse 40. Now, this passage here. Whilst you're finding it in your Bibles, it's nice to hear the rustling of paper and pages. That's nice. It feels like a throwback. I like it. Um, this story that we're going to look like happens. The story we're going to look like uh, look at happens either side of another story, and the story in the middle is one that we probably hear talked about more often. And It's the story of the woman who came to Jesus in a crowd, and she she just she reached out and she touched him. And it said that she'd been bleeding for years, but in, the, in, the, in among the crowd, she reached out to touch Jesus, and Jesus said, someone touch me. But obviously, the disciples said, Jesus, you're in a crowd of people, loads of people touched you. And Jesus said, well, no, 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 someone, like, touched me, intentionally reached out with faith to touch me. And the story is a story that we hear preached on often about how this woman was healed, and it, we, we, we hear it talked about, this woman was desperate and she was on the floor and she reached out just to touch the hem of his garment. We're familiar with this story, many, many of us. A wonderful story. Which, a story that we hear talked about to build our faith and to build our courage and our expectation in Jesus. But there's this other story that is happening before and after that one, which I want us to look at this morning. And it starts in verse 40. And it says, Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. For they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. So again, this isn't man walks to Jesus politely, says, Lord Jesus, maybe, possibly, if not too much trouble. He comes pleading, pleading with Jesus. It says that he came and fell at Jesus' feet. We talk sometimes, we go off track a little bit in worship. We lift our hands as postures in worship. This is a guy, a synagogue leader. Okay, so one of the leaders. But he got on his knees before Jesus and was pleading. Pleading. Because his daughter, his only daughter was dying. So this isn't just a small prayer request. This is a big deal. This is probably... I would guess, the hardest day of his life up to this point, and he's pleading to Jesus, please come and heal my daughter. And as we carry on the text, it says that as Jesus was on his way, so Jesus went. He went with this man. And you think, brilliant, he's coming. My daughter is ill. She's dying, but Jesus is coming. He's coming. Fantastic. We got, it's going to be okay. And then it's at this point, where this other character, this woman, comes into the story and Jesus stops. And all the rest of this story unfolds in the middle of this one story. Can you imagine what Jairus was thinking at this point? My, my daughter, Jesus, my daughter. Like I was, just, I was just pleading with you. You came, now you've stopped. You've stopped. You, I mean, it's great that you're healing the other person, but you need to come. You need to come now. Now, I asked you to come. But Jesus didn't. I, what I want to read there is that Jesus just, boom, he ran. He got there as quick as he could. Because Jairus asked him to come, so boom, he just came. And Jesus ran to get there at the first call. But Jesus stopped on his way. And the rest of this passage is this story that we know of Jesus healing this woman. An amazing story. But if we step back and see this from the point of view of Jairus, It's hard. Can you just imagine what he was thinking? His daughter, his only daughter is dying. And suddenly Jesus, after it all looked so hopeful, he stopped. He needs to talk to other people. Like, come now, Jesus. And then if we go further down, so if we skip ahead to verse 49, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. And just before we carry on, let's read this without knowing the end of the story. Let's just forget that we know what happens in the end if you do know this story. Let's just sit in the middle of the story so we can feel a little bit of what's actually happening. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, a synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. I mean, you can't even imagine what Jairus is thinking about Jesus at this point. This guy Jairus, he came to Jesus because he's heard these stories of Jesus who heals people. And he's not done it. (laughs) He stopped, he got distracted by someone else. And news comes that his daughter has died. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now, I just think as I read this story, why, like, and I'm not going to give an answer to this this morning, but why didn't Jesus just go there? He didn't even need to go there, maybe. He's Jesus. He could have, again, just gone, she's healed, go back home and she's fine. Like He could have done any, any one of these things. But all this kind of story happens with, with Jairus probably despairing, all the family outside the house wailing. All of this could have been avoided. But Jesus did it a different way. Again, like the first story, Jesus does all the things that we love about him. He shows his love. He shows his compassion. He shows his healing power. Again, the stuff that we love him for, the stuff we sing about, the stuff that we tell people how good Jesus is. But he does it once again in a way that I'm not comfortable with and in a way that I'm sure the characters in the story at the time, they were not comfortable with either. If they were right in the script, if I were right in the script, I'm guessing if you were right in the script, the stories would have been a lot more straightforward without all this confusing stuff happening in the middle. In these stories that we've looked at, and I could have, we could have picked out numerous, numerous stories in the Gospels to illustrate this because it's not, this isn't the only time Jesus does things like this. He does it so many times where you can go through commentaries and read the scriptures and all sorts of stuff to figure out what's going on. A lot of the time there is so much more going on but so much of the time Jesus does these things and it's just confusing. But who Jesus is does not change. Okay, Let's just get that figured out first of all. It's not that Jesus is just doing crazy things left, right and center. Jesus is loving, he's kind, he's compassionate, he is the healer. All this stuff does not change but the way that he displays this seems to change at times. He does it in all kinds of different ways. Ways that confuse people. In the passage, you read through these Gospels, there are people, so many of the times, people are confused by Jesus. And you think, well, Jesus is Jesus, maybe surely he's a better, better communicator than that. But it's almost like there's something more going on. When Jesus does things like this, the way that Jesus acts sometimes doesn't fit into the mold that people or us at the time wanted, liked, or expected. I'm just going to pray quickly before we move on into uh, what we're going to do with this text. So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Your word is powerful, your word is life changing, your word can be confusing. But we thank you for your word. And I pray today, Jesus, that your heart, your words would penetrate deep into our hearts and our minds. Not my words, not my thoughts, but yours, Jesus. Give us ears to hear today. We thank you that your name is powerful. So we ask you would come and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to kind of use those texts that we just read as a bit of a backdrop to what I'm going to talk about this morning. And what I want to talk about this morning is um, I think that some of us, some of the time, lots of the time, all of the time, different amounts of the time for us here... I think that sometimes us, and as a culture, let's not just be insular this morning. As a culture, if you go into Morrison's this morning and see how many people are in that car park, if you go to any supermarket or garden centre this morning and see how many people are there, I think that people so often the time find Jesus boring. I meant to say that in church, but I think a lot of people, if we're real, find Jesus boring. And I'm not even just talking about the people at Morrison's and Asda at the garden centres. I think some of us find at times Jesus boring. I'm preaching this morning. Sometimes I find Jesus boring. Okay, But it's all right. I'm going to carry on and quantify that a little bit. I'm going to, it's my version and my understanding of Jesus, my small little petite view of Jesus that is boring but I think a lot of us and a lot of people sometimes find Jesus boring whether we say it or admit it I think that's the case for our culture sometimes we we will come to church and this morning if we could just go through some of the words that we've sung this morning you know I will fear no evil for my God is with me if my God is with me whom then shall I fear just huge words that we sing let our shout be your anthem, your renown, fill the skies. You know, big, huge things that we sing passionately, Jesus, you are Jesus, and we worship him, and we tell him how much we love him. But so often, really, we, we kind of find it a bit boring, and a bit dry, and a bit stale, and, you know, we've got all these songs with these big words, but really, we're finding it a bit, there's a, a bit boring, there's like a disconnect. There's a disconnect between what we sing and what we read. Sometimes there's a disconnect between what we read in the Bible and and how we feel. There's a disconnect between what we speak and what we experience. And I think that sometimes, a lot of the time, us, the church, nationally, worldwide, Maybe the people again in Morrison's Asda Garden Center, we've lost a sense of expectation of Jesus. We've lost that sense of when Jesus walks into a room, anything can happen. I think sometimes we've lost that sense of it's church today. What could happen? (laughs) What could happen? We believe all the stuff that we said, the stuff that Jesus showed in that scriptures. I think we believe because we're here. We believe that God is good. We believe that he's kind. We believe that he's powerful. We believe that he's a healer. We believe that he's compassionate. We believe this stuff. But I think sometimes some of us, we've, maybe we've been to church so many times. Maybe um, we grew up going to church or a different type of church. Whatever, wherever it is that you're at this morning, I think sometimes we, we feel like we've got it all figured out. This Jesus, yeah, he's, he does this. Sometimes he might heal someone, but I've not seen it for a while. And sometimes he, there's amazing testimony, but you know, I've not seen it for a while. And sometimes I think we just can fall into a pattern where I know what's going to happen. I know the rest of the script. I've been to so many church services. I've been to so many um, different... T- events where people have spoken or we've prayed or we've read the Bible and we can just begin, we we know what happens, we know what happens, we come to church, have a coffee, sing some songs, listen to someone speak, we kind of respond to them, we just go home and have lunch and there. We can fall into this pattern. I feel sometimes we've lost the sense of expectation that when Jesus walks into a room, anything can happen. Jesus, this is Jesus. When Jesus walks into a room, Anything can happen. Do you have that sense this morning when you come to church? Anything could happen today. Anything. We're going to church. We're going to meet together in the presence of God. What could happen? What could happen? This is what stops us inviting friends to church. This is what stops us talking to our friends about Jesus because we just feel like "Mm, we've lost a sense of expectation. And I was talking to someone the other week and this kind of came out of my mouth without me thinking about it but it's hung with me since I said it. I'm going a little bit off track again. But I, there are two ways for us to grow a church. Two ways. One way is that we advertise ourselves to Christians. We put on all the, do all the new songs and all the events that Christians like so that other Christians can come to church and we're forever kind of putting on this big show for Christians, scratching all the itches that Christians have and entertaining and putting all this kind of stuff. That's the one way we could grow a church and I think we could grow a church that way. The second way that we can grow a church is by once again having an expectation with our friends and with our family and with our colleagues and the people on the next table at Costa, the people we walk across as we go down the road, our neighbours, believing that if we talk to them about Jesus, anything could happen because Jesus is the God of miracles, Jesus is the God of salvation, Jesus is the God that can bring hope and life. But we think, no, I just kind of know what's going to happen at church, I know, it's just meh. We've lost a sense of expectation in what can happen when Jesus walks into the room. There's a quote, and I spent time last night trying to find out where on earth I heard this quote. I can't remember, so I apologize for that. But it's that religion is looking for God in the last place you found him religion is looking for god in the last place you found him so you have one encounter with jesus somewhere and you just keep going back to that same place all the time because in your experience that's what is that's what works but jesus as we read in these passages does not want to be contained and boxed in by these small experiences he wants to meet us over and over and over and over again because jesus is not dead he is alive I'm going to read a passage from a book, and do you know what, I'm going to read two passages from two books this morning, and I hate it when people read from the front, I just switch off because I find it really hard, so do your best to try and engage with what I'm reading now because I think this is really good. This is from a book, The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey, which is an amazing book which I recommend thoroughly, Uh, I think you can get it quite cheap now as well, so all the better, but I'm just going to read a few paragraphs from this. And he says, the more I studied Jesus, the more difficult it became to pigeonhole him. He said little about the Roman occupation, the main topic of conversation among his countrymen, and yet he took a whip to drive petty profiteers from the Jewish temple. He urged obedience to the Mosaic law while acquiring a reputation as a lawbreaker. He could be stabbed by sympathy for a stranger, yet turn on his best friend with a flinty rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. He had uncompromising views on rich men and loose women, yet both types enjoyed his company. One day, miracles seemed to flow out of Jesus. The next day, his power was blocked by people's lack of faith. One day, he talked in detail of the second coming. Another, he knew neither the day nor hour. He fled from arrest at one point and marched inexorably toward it at another. He spoke eloquently about peacemaking, then told his disciples to procure swords. His extravagant claims about himself kept him at the center of controversy. But when they did something truly miraculous, he tended to hush it up. As Walter Wink has said, if Jesus had never lived, we would not have been able to invent him. Two words one could never think of applying to the Jesus of the Gospels. Boring and predictable. <laughs> I love that passage. All those, you know, where we box Jesus in. So predictable Jesus, we do this, we do that. But Jesus, in these Gospels, if we read these Gospels, if we read these stories, Jesus is anything but boring. He is amazing he is captivating, he is confusing. At times, he's irritating because it is not boxed in the way that I particularly like all the time. But Jesus, the Jesus that we sing about, the Jesus that we worship is not boring. I'm going to read one other little passage from you. This is a shorter one. And this is from the book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, which I think many of us will be familiar with. But there's um, a, a little passage in here that i want to read and this is when um mr beaver and mrs beaver are talking to i think it's to lucy or to to susan and um so if you don't know this story they're talking about aslan who is the lion and that's like the christ kind of figure it's a big kind of analogy metaphor i think there's a proper word for that in english language but a metaphor for the life of jesus but it says um aslan a man said mr beaver sternly "'Certainly not. "'I tell you, he is the king of the wood "'and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. "'Don't you know who is the king of beasts? "'Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion.' "'Ooh,' said Susan. "'I thought he was a man. "'Is he quite safe? "'I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion.' "'That you will, dearie, and no mistake,' said Mrs. Beaver.' If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Safe. Of course, he isn't safe but he's good he's the king i tell you this morning i want to suggest that if you've been finding jesus boring lately if you've been finding following jesus boring that maybe you haven't encountered him lately you've been finding jesus boring i'm gonna suggest that maybe you haven't encountered him lately if you haven't felt in your life challenged provoked if you feel like you haven't had your boundaries pressed against i'm gonna suggest you haven't encountered jesus lately because jesus has this way and we don't talk about this very much but jesus has a way of pushing our boundaries It's irritating sometimes. We talk so much about the niceness of following Jesus and we sing nice songs and Jesus is so good and loving and makes my life wonderful and that is true and that is great. But there's another side of Jesus where he pushes our boundaries and I hate it when he pushes my boundaries. But he does it because, safe? Who said anything about safe? Jesus pushes our boundaries. And if you haven't felt challenged and provoked, and like you've had your boundaries challenged and pushed in that way, maybe you've lost sight of Jesus being the king. The king. In this story, the lion witch and the wardrobe, as I said, Aslan, who's the, 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 the Christ figure, he's a lion. A lion. Not have you ever seen a lion before, but the powerful, strong lions. But I think sometimes some of us, and this is what turns the world off, this is what turns the people off in Morrisons and Asda and the garden centers, this is what turns us off at times, is because we've tried to produce a safe, domesticated, watered down version of Jesus. (laughs) And it's boring. It's boring. If you think of a lion, (laughs) like the picture of Jesus, I think sometimes we try to turn him into like a nice little house cat. Nice little kitty cat. You know, we might get a cat, invite him into our home. We can pick it, we can have some comfort from little cat, little kitty, give it a a stroke, feed it, but then at some point we can just throw it into another room when it gets a bit annoying. But Jesus is not a little domesticated cat, he's the lion. The Bible calls him the lion. If you think I'm just going too far on the Narnia side, the lion of Judah is what the Bible describes him as a lion. And I think sometimes we've lost sight of this. When Jesus walks into a room, anything is possible. In those texts that we looked at at the start, it was confused. Jesus did all the things that we want him to do. He did it. He did the stuff that we know about it, but it was different. He, he did it in this different sort of way that can be so hard to understand. But he did it. Jesus spent the Gospels amazing people, changing people, challenging people. And we every Easter we celebrate, don't we, that Jesus is alive. We say, oh God, he's not dead. He is alive. But sometimes we don't like the fact that he's alive. We want him to just be quiet, domesticated, cozy, nice Jesus. But Jesus is alive. He's alive and he wants to meet with us over and over again. And I know some of you, even now, you're feeling your boundaries pushed again. And my goal this morning is to agitate a little bit. Because I think it's good. Jesus wants to change us. He wants a church that is alive. That doesn't just come and worship this domesticated, small version of him. But once again, to recognize that he is the lion. He is the king. He is good. But who said anything about safe? <laughs> Jesus will challenge you. He will push on your boundaries. You'll be at work one day, and you'll be talking, and suddenly you'll feel like Jesus is just nudging. And you think, "Ah." but that's what he does. Because he wants to change us. He wants us to experience him. He doesn't want our relationship with him to be defined by something that happened years ago. He wants to meet with us today, now, this afternoon, tomorrow. He wants to change us. And where we've lost sense of this excitement, this adventure of following Jesus, it becomes dry. It becomes boring. But we need, again, in our church... To raise our expectation levels. Knowing that Jesus wants to be alive in us. And in our neighbours and in our friends and in our family. Us sitting here in this room entertaining ourselves about nice stories about Jesus. Does not cut it. Because he wants to change Preston. Your neighbour. Who's your neighbour? Think of your neighbour right now. Jesus wants to change them. He wants to know them. When Jesus walks into a room, anything can happen. Not some cat that you can ignore in the corner, just if a lion walks in the room, you know about it. <laughs> you know about it. It says in Hebrews 11 Chapter 11, verse 6, a little scripture we know well, we hear it all the time, but it says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please God without faith, without expectation. And you don't get faith without recognizing that Jesus is bigger and stronger and more interesting and more captivating than we've ever thought of him. Do you want to come Theo and just start playing? I'm just I'm just going to move on just to the, the 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 call of this, the take home. What do we do with this? What's the challenge? I think that many of us have fallen into a rut of finding following Jesus predictable, dry and boring. But I think it's time that we we begin to engage with these stories in this book. The Gospels in the Bible, which talk of Jesus' time on earth as a a man, takes up about that much of my Bible. (laughs) So it's not much. And that's four different accounts, a lot of the same stories so we can probably look at about that much for one gospel so if you ever find your bible daunting right That is, there's not actually loads there we need to begin to engage with these stories and be blown away with the character of Jesus safe you said anything about safe But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Jesus wants to change us. He wants to challenge us because it's about growth. It's about growth. It's about us becoming more like him. And we're doing this whole series at Connect Groups on the fruit of the spirit. It's all that. It's about our life being changed. Becoming more like Jesus. Which makes our families more like Jesus, which makes our streets more like Jesus, makes our city more like Jesus, makes our nation. It's about changing us for his glory. Jesus is alive. He's alive. That doesn't just mean he got off the cross. It means that he's alive and wants to talk to us, wants to know us, wants to engage with us, wants to push our boundaries so that we're not just ourselves and me and what I want all the time. If you look in the Old Testament, it talks a lot of the time about how they made idols. And we read now, don't we, about, oh, idols, how foolish. Aren't they silly, ma- making these false idols? Why couldn't they tell? I remember thinking this as a, as a child and I read these stories. Why didn't they know that that idol wasn't God? It didn't do anything. But it's true, if your idol doesn't talk, and doesn't do anything, it's a bad idol. It's a bad God, get rid of it. And if... You feel like Jesus has not spoken to you lately and challenged you? It's because you've probably made some watered down version of Jesus. She's an idol. There's that thing that's been said many times but it says about how God made us in his own image and then we did the kind thing of returning the favor. <laughs> and we try to create God in our own image. I know you've uh, watched the news lately or flicked through a newspaper or looked at your Facebook feed. Isn't it amazing how many times Jesus agrees with us? Have you found that? (laughs) How many times he just seems to agree with everything that we think? Have you ever been in a discussion with a friend and he just seems to agree with everything? It's because we've made a watered-down Jesus. If Jesus is agreeing with you in everything that you want to do, think, say, that's more like the cat and less like the lion. Jesus will push against us. He will ask you to do things that you don't enjoy, that you don't want to do. But it is good. He is good. He is the king. And this way of following Jesus is where there's life, is where there's energy, it's where there's adventure, it's where there's change. And Jesus' call to the disciples in the New Testament and to us now is, follow me. Follow me. Why don't we stand? I'm going to sing. I'm just going to pray for us this morning before we sing. Lord Jesus, I pray for us this morning that you would have your way. You called us to follow you and many of us could think of a date or a time where we began to follow Jesus. But we know, God, that that's not the end of the story. That today, right now, at seven minutes to twelve, on October the 16th, 2016, you are calling us again and you're saying, follow me. I pray Jesus that you would show us who you are reveal yourself to us help us to engage with who you are in the gospels in your word because we want to follow you Jesus I pray for anyone here right now who has stood and this word is you can feel it pressing against you God I pray that we would make the bold decision To go within and to follow you, Jesus, because you're alive. You're alive, you're alive, and you're strong, and you're good, and you're active. Our God is not dead, He is alive. And we want to follow you, Jesus, today. Whatever this means for different stuff that's going on in our life with relationships and whatever it may be, where we feel you pressing up against our boundaries. Help us to engage with what you're doing, I pray.